1: hi everybody welcome back to another wisco fanatics wednesday we have brewers packers badgers today's episode is going to be dedicated to my mom's family and uh we lost our dog today actually at 1:30 p.m diamond was a big part of our family she was a great dog i uh, just want to say that i love you diamond and if everybody can have my mom and their thoughts and prayers i'd really be appreciated
2: yeah, it's never easy losing a family pet, especially one that's been around for a long time. So uh, definitely thinking about you, bud. And um, got a lot to talk about today. Going to have a a fun show, hopefully. And um, yeah, lots to talk about today. We're going to start with the Brewers and then preview Packers Saints. And then we're going to, unfortunately, we have to talk about the Badgers. We can't not talk about it. Um, and then preview their matchup with Eastern Michigan. So we're going to start with the Brewers. And they're finishing of the Giants series. Yep. And let's talk about the third and fourth games. Let's start with the third game of that series. Jake, what do you got from that game?
1: Third game. Brewers ended up winning the series this day. They took three out of four, obviously, as you already said. The third game was a bullpen day. Uh, Anderson, Strickland, Topa, Norris, Boxburg, Cousins, and Hader all pitched in this game. They all pitched great, if you ask me not a lot of hits given up, not a lot of, really not that many walks. I mean, there's a couple, but on a bullpen day, you kind of expect something like that. Uh, Hater had one walk, but at three Ks, I swear to God, he does that almost every time he just strikes <laughs> everybody out. And he's just, I forget how skinny he is. Every time I see him, you know, cause I went to the game the other day and he was walking on the because We got there pretty early and I was like, God, that guy's so skinny. How's he just throw so hard? It's crazy. Um, no, it was a it was a good day for the Brewers. Uh Lorenzo Kane, especially. Uh two RBI single. And he had a Homer later in that day. Uh so Brewers ended up winning that game five to two. So it was uh it was there was this felt like a playoff series, you know. Brewers took three out of four, so that gives gives us a lot of confidence as Brewers fans going into the postseason.
2: For sure. Yeah, this was definitely uh like a playoff preview type series. Um, It's kind of an up-and-down game. The Giants jumped out to a 2-0 lead, and the Brewers tied it 2-2 and ended up winning 5-2. I'll say my dogs are upstairs fighting right now, so I can hear that. (laughs) Uh, um, So I want to give a quick shout-out to Brett Anderson, who is uh, a trooper for taking a, a line drive off the shoulder and staying in to finish the inning. Uh, we talked about it last week, how it's unfortunate that Brett Anderson had some really solid pitching outings, but you just can't say healthy. Then he's finally back pitching again, and he takes a line drive off the shoulder, and now he's day-to-day with a shoulder contusion. So just kind of unlucky there. But showing off, again, how useful having a guy like Hunter Strickland is who can come in out of the bullpen and give you multiple innings. Um, and Justin Topa. Uh, I wanted to talk about him. It's... It's a really big bummer for Justin Topa. He ended up back on the sixty-day injured list, and it was another elbow injury. So Justin Topa's already had two Tommy John surgeries, and now he has another elbow injury. Uh, if it ends up being another Tommy John situation, it could end up being you know a potential career-ending injury, which would really suck. Um, Topa's definitely struggled this year. It's well documented. Obviously, Brewers Facebook jumps out right away and says, "Why is he even on the team?" Not knowing that last year he was pretty solid in the limited innings that he gave, and he can hit 97 with his fastball. It's like he's he's got potential, um, and he showed it at times. It just didn't really didn't really come back for him this year. Um, that being said, Boxberger, Jake Cousins, you mentioned Josh Hader already all scoreless, Jace on base with two more hits, and um, it was encouraging to see. John Norris have a scoreless inning against the Giants. Uh, I was encouraging to see him have a good outing against a good team. You know, it's not like we're playing the Cubs or uh, or the Pirates or something like that where, you know, you can't just say John Norris had a, a good game against a bad team. He had a good game against a good team, so that is encouraging. Um, James is in the comments already talking about Packers Saints. We're going to get there, but we're going to talk about the Brewers
1: first. Stick around, James. Stick around. <laughs> I got something for you. <laughs>
2: Uh, all right. Let's move into the last game of the series, the YouTube game, and let's talk about the fourth game of that series.
1: Yeah, uh, Eric Lauer had a great outing. Didn't end up getting end up getting the win, which really really sucks. Yeah, but seven innings, three hits, uh, four Ks. He pitched great, man. Um, on the day that Devin Williams received his you know kind of award for reliever of the month. Mm-hmm. He pitches two-thirds and gives up four runs. I mean, this was a 1-1 game going into the eighth inning. And, you know, they scored a run. The Giants ended up scoring a run before this. But then Estrada hits a three-run homer for the Giants. And that was really the end of the game right there when Estrada launched that ball. But this was their only loss during this series. So, you know, you take a little grain of salt and you kind of just move on to the next series, which is exactly what the Birds did, you know.
2: Yeah, and that's that's the big takeaway is The Brewers took three out of four from yeah. the Giants in San Francisco. Yeah, um, I will really- say, yeah. As far as the YouTube thing is concerned, um, I actually enjoyed the broadcast. Um, it seemed a little more like vibrant. Like they had a bright green dot for the ball locator. Um, they put some more stats and stuff on there. It just looked a little more modern as far as the um, you know the broadcast is concerned. Um, I heard a lot of complaints that they were talking almost exclusively about the giants during the YouTube game, but they were in San Francisco and they had a bunch of former giants in the booth and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's part of how that went. Um, But the cool thing with the YouTube games is you can choose to click on uh, the home or the away audio. So you could listen to brewers radio while watching the game on YouTube. So that's kind of cool. Um, It'd be I'd be interested to see more games on YouTube in the future. Um, I think that's kind of a cool thing. If, um,
1: if you're gonna listen to one radio, it's definitely the Brewers. Euchre is oh, the hundred yeah. percent. Oh yeah, no debate.
2: <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about a cool Brewers call in a little bit here. Um, you mentioned Lauer. He had really good outing. The only thing that hurt him was literally the first pitch of the game.
1: Yeah,
2: first pitch of the game got launched for a homer, and after that, he really settled in, pitched well. Uh, the Devin Williams thing <sighs> was really annoying because they had a play at second base. The tag looked good. They called them out. Originally went to review and got overturned, uh, which would have been the third out of the inning. And honestly, it's one of those calls that really could have gone either way. It was one of those bang, bang things. And it usually end up being, um, you know, like a call stands type thing. Um, and it, and it went overturned, which was surprising. And then that's when the the Giants put the big hurt on Devin Williams it was after that play that could have been an out, got overturned, and then the Giants, you know, they, they made it count. Um, Willie Adamas hit a home run, uh, reviewed, overturned. So another call it didn't really go the Brewers' way. It was really hard to tell uh, if it was – it was a home run or a foul ball it was really hard to tell it was super sunny that day um judging on where the fans were standing up trying to catch the ball I would have thought it would have been a home run and it was called a home run on the field but that one also got overturned so um it would have been 5-3 with two outs in the top of the ninth so maybe the Brewers could have still had a chance to win but um just an unfortunate thing with with Willie Adamas and then um yeah and then he grounded out and the Brewers lost five to one and then on to the Cardinals series. So, uh, if you want to speed through the first game of that Cardinals series, because it was really not fun as much as the next two were, but um, still got to uh, talk about it.
1: Well, if you didn't know, Friday was my birthday. <laughs> so, started watching the Brewers and uh, did not last long me watching the Brewers on this day. Arnado, two, two home runs. Bader, O'Neill, Molina, and Sosa also. You know, joined him on the home run trots. Uh, the Brewers won 15 to f- or lost 15 to four and yeah. not a good day. Not not a good day. We so game two. I,
2: I made sure I wrote down a bunch of takeaways because I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to only talk about the good stuff and not talk about the bad stuff. But in the middle of this game that did not go well for the Brewers, I did still have some good takeaways. Um Freddie Peralta, unfortunately, wasn't one of them. It's his first game back since August 18th. Um, Got kind of roughed up, but um, the two walks that he gave up, both runs scored. Um, Aaron Ashby gave up a walk that scored. John Norris gave up two walks that both scored on a home run. And uh, Holby Milner gave up two pitches that were both hit for home runs. That being said, Justin Topa, two-thirds an inning, Gave up four and runs. He's probably done for sure for the year, maybe forever. We don't really know uh, the extent of his injury yet. But one bright spot I have for this game is Aaron Ashby. He came in the middle of this game. He pitched four and a third's innings, gave up a walk, uh, one hit, which was a home run, and then he had four strikeouts. Uh, In the fourth inning of this game, Aaron Ashby struck out the side in the fourth inning. Paul Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill, and Nolan Arenado. Those are three very, very good hitters for the Cardinals. And to go through those three and strike all three of them out in the same inning—big uh, props to Aaron Ashby, the young guy, for taking care of those three all on strikeouts, all in one inning. Um, uh, I really hope Adam Wainwright retires soon.
1: <laughs> man,
2: <laughs> man. I have- I haven't written in my notes that Wainwright's been a problem for a long time. Um, he's a
1: very good pitcher. And he had a hit in this game. Yeah, He's a very good
2: pitcher. And he drove in or Molina. It was their 300th game together. And Adam Wainwright got a, a an RBI single that scored Yadier Molina. Um, Luis Urias and Pablo Reyes were only the, really the only two that did well. Um, Urias was three for four. and Pablo was two for two. Um, Yeah, not a lot of silver linings, but Aaron Ashby pitching pretty solid and Urias and Pablo hitting well are the the two silver linings that I took from that game. So let's talk about game two. A much better situation and uh, kind of glossed a little bit of the sting of the Badgers loss on Saturday night. So let's talk about game two of that Cardinal series.
1: Yeah, wait till we get to that. I got some shit to say. So (laughs) we're going to talk Brewers right now, though. So Adrian Hauser. Uh, complete game shutout, man. Uh, I know you know. You were the first to tell me because I had to go to bed. I was exhausted from work that day. Um, but he only needed four runs. Um, got got the job done. They the Brewers stopped scoring in the second inning. So I mean, there's that. It was four to zero to the second inning, and Adrian Hauser had game of his life, man. He pitched great, and Brewers got the win. Uh, this is their first complete game shutout since 2014, I believe. I saw. 2014 and 2015. Kyle Loesch. Ah. See, always teaching me names. Here we go. (laughs) My brewer, my brewer's dad, I learned this week.
2: Got uh, Christopher in the comments. Christopher, uh, he's the creator of our Discord channel. So if you want to talk with Jake and I in between Wednesdays, uh, Discord is the place to do it. Uh, I want to thank Christopher for setting that up for us. Uh, he's in the comments saying the Cardinals actually have it in their contract with Wainwright that he has to legally die three times before he'll be let go until then get the shock paddles out. You know, I could see Yadier Molina having had that same uh, clause in his contract because it seems like he keeps getting re-upped for one year, two year deals. And then it will be like, is this going to be the year that he retires? Nope. One more go. And he's going to have the farewell tour next year. So uh, yeah. that's where they're at with, with Wainwright and Yadier Molina. Uh-huh. Um, so you mentioned it already. First complete game shutout since 2014. First complete game period since 2017. Jimmy Nelson was the last one to do it. Um, only took him 101 pitches to get it done. And yeah. we're going to talk about Eric Lauer when we get to last night's game. And I'm going to kind of make some comparisons here. But um, he's only the seventh pitcher. This is a seventh pitching appearance for the Brewers to have recorded an out in the eighth inning. So the Brewers have some great pitching, and you know about Brandon Woodruff. If you know about Corbin Burns, you know about Freddie Peralta. And then the Cardinals are like, finally, we don't have to face one of those threes. And then you get shut out by Adrian Hauser. Oh, and then there's uh, Eric Lauer also. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Eric Lauer when we get into last night's game. But um, this was a much better situation for the Brewers than the 15-4 loss. Uh, Luis Urias lead off home run. William Adamas was three for three. Uh, the six, seven, eight hitters were all getting hits and, and uh, manufacturing runs. Um, so that's what you want to see out of the bottom of the order. Um, listening to uh, Adrian Hauser talk to talk with Sophia Minner after the game, he said his strategy was talking about throwing first pitch strikes. So he, I don't know how many batters he faced, but um well, he gave up three hits, no walks, so he would have faced a total of 30 batters. He had 25 first-pitch strikes. That helps. That helps. So getting me. ahead in the counts, and that's the thing that kept his pitch count down, is getting ahead in counts, uh, getting guys into pitcher's counts, basically, and having to either chase a bad pitch, get struck out, because he did finish with seven strikeouts in this game, or just getting guys to, to roll out on not-great pitches. Um, so, big credit to Adrian Hauser for, for doing what he does and doing it so effectively that he was able to get a complete game. Um, so, he had 101 pitches. How many pitches do you think he threw for strikes, if you had to guess? It's a lot.
1: I'm going to say 82.
2: 82 is close. He had 76 strikes out of 101 pitches um he gave a lot of credit to luke miley for calling a good game behind the plate and so credit to luke miley for coming back to this roster with manny Pena on the 10-day injured list and calling a complete game shutout to go with adrian hauser so um big credit to those two that was uh great news to hear a great way to bounce back not only after the badgers losing but also after getting beat 15 to 4 on friday night and I've then uh great.
1: How do you go from hitting six homers to getting shut out? My God!
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, spread out, spread the wealth a little bit. This is this is textbook reason for why I say run differential can be a misleading stat. Yep. Because the Brewers outscored fifteen to eight in two games, and they complete game shut out one of them and lost fifteen to four on the other. So it's a you know it's a misleading stat, um, especially in a small sample size. But uh, you were at the third game, so I'm gonna let you talk first about this one too. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about the third game of this series. And I have some annoying things to say about this one as well as good things. So kick it off. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I went to the game. Uh, we had a guy's day. It was uh, myself, my stepson, my dad, and my father-in-law. Uh, it was my father-in-law. He's actually from L.A. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but he's a big Rams fan, big Dodgers fan. Um, I know. Boo, Dodgers.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: He, he likes what he likes. He's from L.A. He picks his hometown teams. But um, it was his first baseball game in 40 years, so I thought that was a crazy stat I needed to say. Wow. Yeah, his first baseball game in 40 years. Uh, but this game was was crazy, man. First of all, took forever. It was the longest baseball game ever. It was a long game, um, especially with a eight year old that get, that gets bored after 20 minutes. So you <laughs> sit through a four hour baseball game. Pretty pretty intense. Uh, but yeah, this this was crazy. Uh, it was actually Reyes' birthday. On Sunday, yep. you didn't know, and he hit a homer in his first at bat on his birthday, so that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, he was on then, base four times. What'd you say?
2: He was on base four times, he had two hits and two walks.
1: Oh, right, he, he played a great game. Um, but you know, being at this game, yep, I did. He was good. Um, the eighth inning, you know, if you watch this game, the eighth inning, the, the Brewers had the bases loaded with one out in the bottom of the eighth, and they ended up, ah oh, man. I'm still mad at Rowdy Talez. You know, both sides were having a hard time finding the strike zone. And Telez, I think he swung at ball four twice. I think the last two pitches of his at bat were ball four. And then you you come up with Kristen Yelich, you know, because he didn't start. He didn't he played one at bat. And he comes in, he absolutely rips one. It's gonna go right down the right field line, right towards us. We said in section 104. And just a great play by Goldschmidt, man. That was a great catch. And then, you know, everybody's kind of sitting there because, you know, the the Cardinals were up 5-1, to you know, for – you know, they scored in the top of the seventh and scored three runs, you know, before that. And you're kind of sitting there and you're like, oh, man, like the Cardinals fans are celebrating. And, you know, after that catch by Goldschmidt, they all all were high-fiving and stuff. And I looked at my dad and I was like, man, imagine celebrating you losing the division by 12 games. (laughs) But – all, obviously, you know what happens. We get to the ninth inning. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. decides to hit a baseball for once in his life. Gets a double. He gets knocked in. And then, uh, man, Vogie, man, that was that was crazy. It got so loud in there. I, and my dad said this. My dad's pretty good with math. He's a pretty smart guy. Uh, he said he thought about eight to ten thousand people left the game early, right? Because we were losing five to one. Yep. And. Also, I couldn't believe how loud it got, even with those eight to 10,000 people leaving. It was pretty empty in there, you know, towards the end of the game. But it got – I got a headache. my It was my stepson's first ever game. So he's screaming, running around. My dad's screaming. All these people around us are like, oh, let's go, let's go. That was that was intense. And I got my Ryan Braun bobblehead. And obviously that's commemorative to one of his biggest home runs, yep. one of the biggest home runs yep. in Brewers history. So for us to have a walk-off grand slam in that day, Absolutely amazing. The first thing that we did, my dad turned on the radio and we heard the call from Euchre because if you're going to, if you're going to hear a legendary play from the Brewers, it has to be from Euchre, man.
2: There's not a, there's not a bad call from that play. Like listening to the the TV broadcast and hearing, are you kidding me? Like that was awesome. That's probably, probably going to go down as one of the most legendary things that Daniel Vogelback ever does. Yeah. Just, just to come in, pinch hit and launch a grand slam to beat the Cardinals while you're in the middle of a, uh, Craig timber, as we like to call it, uh, which got off to a little bit of a rocky start, but since then, uh, has definitely gone much better for the Brewers. Um, I wanted to pull up a tweet that was from, uh, Jack Stern, um, Adrian Hauser, the complete game shutout. Luke Miley recorded a hit in each of his first four games in September, Pablo Reyes hit his first home run since August 11th, 2019 on his birthday. Uh, and then yeah, Daniel Vogelbach with the pinch hit grand slam, uh, the walk-off pinch hit grand slam. Um, so you covered all the good stuff I'm going to cover a couple other good things. And then I want to rant and be annoying for a minute. Um, Hunter Strickland had an inning pitched. he gave up three walks, but he worked out of it without giving up any runs. Um, Jake Cousins didn't have his greatest outing, two thirds of an inning. Uh, did give up the two earned runs. It was nice to see uh John Del Gustave and Miguel Sanchez uh work through uh two and a third scoreless innings together combined, gave up four hits, five strikeouts. Um just seven walks by Brewer's pitchers is too many. Um yeah. they gotta they still gotta bring that down. I'm gonna harp on it until the season's over. Uh is keeping the walks down. You brought up the the pinch hit by Yelich that he rocketed. Paul Goldschmidt has gold gloves, and he's probably going to get another one. Um, Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns is the last thing I'm going to talk about. So this isn't a terrible game by Major League Baseball standards by having five innings, six hits, three earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. Not a terrible game, but it's not great by Corbin Burns' standards. Now, the annoying thing about this is Harrison Bader had a little dribbler that went down the third base line. Eduardo Escobar touched it with his glove. It went under his glove. And so it's a fair ball. Fine. I'm I'm fine with the fair foul call. The thing that annoys me about that is initially it was ruled a hit. So it got ruled a double. So the two runs that scored on that play got charged to Corbin Burns. Then it got changed to an error. The official scoring decision got changed to an error. So then those two runs are unearned because, I mean, it was an error. I mean, Escobar went to scoop the ball up and he, you know, it, it hit his glove and went under. That's an error if you ask me. Then later on, it got changed back to a hit. So those two earned runs went back on to Corbin Burns, which I, I don't see how you can possibly give that as a hit. I mean, unless you give it as like a single and an error and then those two earned runs still shouldn't count against Corbin Burns. So Corbin Burns did technically give up three earned runs, but it really only should have been one because two of them scored on what I would think would be an error by Eduardo Escobar. Um, And I know a lot of people, especially on, you know, um, in my my group chat with my uh, fellow writers of for reviewing the brew, uh, agreed that that should have gone down as an error and not as a hit. Which would then not have charged those two earned runs to Corbin Burns.
1: Yeah, sucks, man. I was I was hoping to see one of those Corbin Burns uh, gems, but it wasn't his day. Like I like I said, both sides really struggled to find the strike zone.
2: Yeah, and this trend unfortunately kind of continues where the big three are struggling and and the other guys are picking up the slack. So let's talk about the first game against Philadelphia, basically. Carbon copy so far the first game against St. Louis and how that series began. So, say what you want about it, and I'll say what I want about it, and then we'll move on to game two.
1: Again, another game, first game of the series, against a team wearing red where they gave up six homers. Uh, Miller with two, Harper, Glaris, Segura, McCutcheon, they all homered. Um, Terrible game, throwaway game is what it is. There's 162 games in baseball. We've said this before. You have days like this. The Brewers have had a lot of games where they just get pounded. It is what it is, man.
2: I mean, you just got to turn around and win the series is what you got to do. So (laughs) that's what I'm looking for for the Brewers. I mean, like I said, yeah, it's basically the same as the St. Louis series. If you can turn around from a bad loss and win the next two and still win the series, um, I'll take it. Um, Woodruff, six innings, nine hits, one walk, four and runs, six strikeouts. Kind of just a meh. Kind of game from Woodruff. He um,
1: three of the home runs.
2: Yeah. Um, Brent Suter had a scoreless inning. Brad Boxberger. Now, this is where the whole knee-jerk reaction thing, it needs to go. Brad Boxberger got roughed up in this game. He gave up, I think, four earned runs. And if you had to just, just guess, just... Throw out a a number for how many days you think it's been since Brad Boxberger gave up an earned run.
1: I'll say 20.
2: 29. Brad Boxberger had not given up an earned run since August 8th before that game. And to go back before that, the previous time that he gave up an earned run was July 17th.
1: See, and the thing is, Wisconsin fans are annoying. So, right away, they were like, oh, Boxberger sucks. Mm -hmm. It's the same same thing we get with Pat Connaughton and Chris Middleton with the Bucks. It's the same thing we get, man. And on the Packers, everybody right away, when MVS drops one pass, it's like, oh, he sucks. Let's cut him. Oh, he has two catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. Oh, let's not remember that. Let's not remember the two catches for 100 yards. Oh, my God. Sometimes, I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's
2: why I will always the the whole like I said the knee jerk thing it's got to go away yeah man it's... like he had one bad outing and and the fact that it's always the the zero to hundred is so fast on the bad that it's not equal on the good like yeah when it's good it's like oh you got lucky or whatever like we're gonna talk about this with Eric Lauer in a minute here it's the same thing like you have to go back. 19 appearances, giving up two earned runs in those 19 appearances.
1: It's pretty damn good.
2: Often in high-level or uh, high-leverage situations where he's pitching in the seventh inning of close games because we've talked about where you go from 7-8-9 with Boxberger, Williams, and Hayter, yep. which you mentioned already, Devin Williams was reliever of the month for August. Um, he had 14 innings pitched, gave up nine hits, no earned runs, and 22 strikeouts. Like, Boxberger and Devin Williams are very good pitchers. Like, they're not going to be 100% perfect 100% of the time, but they've been damn close. So, put a little respect on on Brad Boxberger and Devin Williams because they are very good pitchers. Um, John Norris is an okay pitcher. Honestly, I don't think he's going to make the postseason roster. Um, and then Luke Miley, the catcher, uh, pitched in an inning. Gave up two hits and an earned run. Uh, as far as batting goes, Christian Yelich was two for four, and that was about it. So if you're ready to move on to the second game of that series, I am too.
1: Yeah, uh, second game was much better because we had the double-digit runs and they had the zero runs. <laughs> so Brewers won 10-0. Uh, yelly two RBIs. Escobar, three RBIs. Wong, two RBIs. And Garcia with a monster two-run shot, 423 feet. And here's where we're going to talk about Eric Lauer. Eric Lauer, seven innings, zero earned runs, five Ks. Over the last two outings, I'm going to let Tyler extend these stats because Tyler oh, likes yeah. to go deep, 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 right? I'm going the last two outings from Eric Lauer, 14 innings pitched, seven hits, one earned run, nine Ks, two walks. You get that out of your number five starter, you win a lot of goddamn baseball games. That's all I'm going to say.
2: And you already we already talked about Adrian Hauser. You yeah. face the number four starter and you get complete game shutout against the Cardinals, who are a team still trying to get into the wild card. I mean,
0: yeah. that sucks
2: if you're an opposing baseball team. And then Eric Lauer coming into this game since June 27th across 51 and a third innings has a 210 ERA.
1: Brewers can pitch, baby. That's what gives them a chance.
2: And that's not even including a Often on and off the injured list, Brett Anderson, who's had a couple of games where he's gone seven innings scoreless. Right, dude. That's so why, that's why were... I asked last week when we had my editor on, I brought up the, the fact that these guys have contrasting styles to the way the big three pitch. Yeah. The big three didn't have their best games their last three outings. No. You know who did? Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer.
1: They sure did. So
2: talk about guys stepping up when it's needed. Um, big props to Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer um you mentioned the seven innings pitched gave up four hits all singles so none of them hurt um only gave up the one walk and then Miguel Sanchez and Hunter Strickland both an inning scoreless um you mentioned all the guys that drove in runs basically everybody in this lineup did damage except for Omar Narvaez he was the only one that really struggled last night he was 0 for four um Escobar redeemed himself a bit by playing some good defense um had a couple short hops uh, that he was able to to play well and then throw out. Um, Eric Lauer had a hit and drew a walk and yeah, had an RBI in this game too, so he's helping his own cause. So I mean, aside from the rest of the Brewers driving in runs, uh, Eric Lauer could have won that game mostly by himself. Um, now this is this is a thing that that needs to be done for the Brewers to win tough games. Because if they end up playing the Dodgers in a playoff series or the Giants in a playoff series, um, these are deep teams that do everything well, is you have to capitalize on your opponent's mistakes. Have to. Now, Luis Urias struck out on a pitch that got by for a pass ball, and he reached on the strikeout. And the Brewers scored three runs after that. That was that would have been the third out. So the Brewers got four outs uh, in that inning after Luis Urias reached on a strikeout and scored three runs after that. So that's the big, big deal stuff that you make opponents' mistakes hurt. We talked about it last week when um, Lorenzo Kane had a really shallow fly ball hit between the shortstop and the left fielder. That fell and Christian Jelich scoring from first base on that. Those are the kind of things that you have to do to capitalize on your opponent's mistakes to win tough baseball games. Now, obviously, you could take away those three runs and the Brewers still would have won seven to nothing. But, you know, doing that stuff in the regular season, you know, that's the situation where you like you practice how you play. So, doing that stuff in the regular season, it's going to have you prepared for the postseason. So, um, I don't know about you, man, but I'm ready for playoff baseball.
1: I, I'm ready for playoff baseball too. And the thing about this Brewers team is they never give up, man. I mean, Sunday's game, obviously, they scored five of their six runs in the ninth. Uh, they had bases loaded in the eighth, like I said, so they could have just they could have been like, oh, that was our chance, and they could have gave up. And there's been a number of games. I mean, they play well on the road. They pitch well. This Brewers team is is ready and just like basketball it's it's dodgers and brewers we're gonna i'm really i'm waiting for that i mean i'm excited for playoff baseball in general but i'm really really looking forward to dodgers and brewers that is going to be some high quality baseball man that's gonna be yeah, good and,
2: and you said it last week you brought it up as a good point that that's going to be similar to the bucks Nets series that yeah. whoever wins between dodgers and brewers is winning the world series and i that's, agree
1: 100 yeah, percent, man um Brew, brewers have enough a lot of people, all the media, you know, they're they're counting us out. But you know, the Bucks went and did it, and everybody wants to talk about how injuries, injuries, injuries. We lost Giannis for a few games. We could have easily lost a couple of games to the Hawks. That's a real possibility. Yeah. You know, we could have shot bad on the road, and then we could have the Hawks could have played amazing. You know, in our house, but yeah, that's not what happened. It's time to uh, Milwaukee to shock the world again. I think, and then yeah. when we talk we talk about some football. When we get to the Badgers, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little rant to say, but we'll wait, we'll wait for that. Cause I'm a lot of babies. We'll
2: stick we'll stick to being happy with our professional teams.
1: Yeah, a lot, lot of babies. That's all I'm gonna say.
2: <laughs> um. So I did mention Eduardo Escobar playing good defense. He did drive in the three runs, so um, kind of redeemed himself a little bit for some of his miscues on uh, on Sunday. And then we mentioned it already. Eric Lauer and Adrian Hauser. I wanted to compare their games a little bit because I saw a few a few posts and a few comments about why didn't Craig Council let Eric Lauer try for a complete game like he did with Adrian Hauser. And Adrian Hauser pitched a complete game on 101 pitches. Eric Lauer went through the seventh inning on 87. So he wasn't getting through two more innings on 14 pitches. Likely. It's possible, but I would say it's unlikely. Now the last the last few starts, Eric Lauer has been very good. I would say if you get five innings with Lauer in minimal, you know, earned runs, like you're happy with that. So getting seven innings from Eric Lauer is already above and beyond what you're hoping to get out of him. And like 87 pitches. That's that's where the Brewers the 90 pitch range is where they start to cut guys off. And a guy like Eric Lauer, whose leash isn't as long with this Brewers team yet, um, is going to get cut off around that 90 that ninety pitch mark. So be happy with Eric Lauer's seven scoreless. Don't get greedy. And just be happy with that he pitched well. Um, I'm going to bring this up because it's been a much maligned trade with the Brewers sending Trent Grisham and Zach Davies to the Padres for Luis Urias and Eric Lauer. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that that, that trade has worked itself into favor for the Brewers. Luis Urias is leading the team in games played. Um, I wrote an article last week, top five underrated players, underrated heroes of 2021. Luis Urias was number one and Eric Lauer. We, we just mentioned it. He's been dealing and he's been, he's been doing really, really good for a, a five hole pitcher and his now 210 ERA since the end of June, um, I mean, you can't you can't ask anything more from Eric Lauer. And Luis Urias has reined in his errors that he had early in the season. So he's doing better. He's hitting well. He's showing some pop. I think he's up to 19 home runs now. Um, and he's and he's super utility. He's playing three positions on defense wherever Craig Council needs him. Um speaking of defense, um, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it already, but I'm going to say it again that I believe that Colton Wong is going to win the second-base Gold Glove.
1: You know, I, just, I didn't want to rant, but I'm going to rant. I am pissed that we didn't get to see a lot of cool players start. Like, Avi didn't start when I went, Jelic, uh Wong. I mean, there's been a ton of players. There was a ton of players we didn't get to see. Like, we saw we saw Avi and yellow getting that bad i didn't get a scene as a swag master colton wong man that kind of made me mad but well know. he was on the
2: paternity list he had a baby did you hear what his baby's name yeah, was i know
1: i saw it yeah tell, tell the world tell the world what it's, his baby's name is. i don't know if
2: it's i'm pretty sure it's gonna be k but it's cash Keha.
1: yeah that's that's fire straight cash homie
2: <laughs> that's a that's a badass name his name is cash k long that's awesome um his wife was putting him on on blast on Twitter a little bit because he was watching the game on his iPad while she was like mid delivery, so she was <laughs> giving him some shit on Twitter for that, which was, uh, that was which was funny. funny but um, yeah, congrats to Colton Wong for adding to the family.
1: Yeah, congrats, man. No, all right. The title back and add to, uh, add to the fan base's family. That's what I want.
2: Yeah, stick it to the Cardinals too. Thanks for uh, thanks for letting us have Colton Wong. He's been a a stud for us.
1: Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. He's, he is our Drew Holiday, as Tyler pointed out.
2: All right, so last thing I want to mention, uh, Manny Pena, Brett Anderson, Willie Adamas, all on the 10-day injured list. Obviously, Eduardo Escobar was back. Uh, still don't have a timetable on Tyrone Taylor. It'd be nice to have him back and maybe play JBJ a little bit less. But um, all in all, all things considered, I really have no complaints about the Brewers in the last week.
1: Yeah, me either. I mean, a little bit here and there, but we'll be all right. Well, I think I think uh, like you and me. I think the Brewers are ready for playoff baseball, man.
2: I agree. All right, you ready to talk Packers?
1: You know, man, I love baseball. I love basketball, but football—it's my goddamn happy place. It's been—it's been my escape in my life forever. So yes. I am ready to talk Packers
2: football. All right, our first Packers preview since January. Uh, let's kick it off. Let's talk about the Packers defense versus the Saints offense and when we're done talking offense versus defense and previewing this game, we're going to give some bold super bold predictions for this 2021-22 Packers season. So let's talk about defense versus Saints offense and I will let you start it off.
1: So, we already know how to attack this Saints offense. They don't have Drew Brees anymore, so they're not going to do that Nick and Duck stuff. With Jameis Winston, he's got a big arm. I really, really expect them to take some deep shots. Also, for this game, they don't have Slant Boy, so there's not going to be nothing underneath. They are they have a couple tight ends on injured, injured list. They have two wide receivers. I forgot the other one's name, but they also, uh, obviously, Michael Thomas is out. And then they have three corners who are, Two are questionable. One is out. So starting corner is out and two others are questionable. So this is all lining up for the Packers to have a very good week one. With that being said, the way to attack them, stack the box. You got to take Alvin Kamara out of the game. Callaway, that's probably it. Um, (laughs) That's nice. I like that, Tim. Um, (laughs) You could show that. Show that one. That little.
2: Uh, Yeah. yeah. Tim's in the comments, but the – Put the middle finger to the Saints. No, nah, it is
1: Cody's right. It is Trufant. Trufant's questionable. So, yeah. outside of that, the way to attack this Saints offense is to take Kamara out of the game. He's a receiver. He's a running back. Me and you have talked about it. He's the he's the number two dual threat running back in the league. And that's yeah. not taking anything away from him. It's just CMC is just that guy. He's just that yeah. level. You know. Oh yeah. So, Alvin yep. Kamara is great too. I'm not trying to take yep. anything away from him. He had that long run on us last year. I think tackling is going to be a lot better. And I think I think the Packers are going to get after him a little bit. I am when we talk about offense, our offense versus their defense, I'm going to give my score prediction because I wrote down a score prediction. And I have some big time offensive predictions for us in this game. Because so I think I think it's going to be a fun week one for us Packers fans. By the way, I wanted to say congratulations, America, because tomorrow football is back. Even though it is Tom Brady versus the Cowboys, which is Quite annoying. frankly, the most annoying thing in football, Tom Brady and Cowboys. Outside of that, football's back, and it's the best time of the year. Tyler, your
2: turn, buddy. All right. So, basically, same thing. Uh, the Packers have to key on Elvin Kamara. You take him away, and then you basically have a turnover. Jameis Winston trying to target one healthy wide receiver in Marquez Callaway. Um he Doesn't have doesn't sound like he's going to have Adam Troutman, the the leading tight end going into this game. Um, I couldn't find any recent updates. Uh, the most recent update I could find about Adam Troutman was um from like that, like the last week of August saying he was going to be out one to three weeks and they were unsure if he was going to be ready for week one. So that being said, the only other guy that he's going to really be looking to throw to is Alvin Kamara. Do you have something you want to say?
1: Um, Yeah, uh, James, that is false because I just looked it up on ESPN, actually. I looked up the injury reports for every team, and the Saints have a pretty long list of injured and questionable players for this game. And Trufant is definitely one of them. He is questionable.
2: All right, so that being said, um, you put Jair Alexander on Marquez Callaway, and then you put seven or eight guys in the box to – um Keep all eyes on Kamara. Honestly, if I if I were Joe Barry, who I'm excited to see what he does, Um I'm excited to see what he does with his defense. I would I would consider putting a linebacker spy on Alvin Kamara, basically on every play.
1: So I'm gonna. I wanted to do this. I was waiting for this. This is why I picked defense first, and I didn't tell you before the show. So we all picked breakout players for the Packers in our chat that we're in. Cheese curds. Yep. I picked Chris Barnes. I think Barnes is going to take a huge he's, step this year.
2: He's um, going to have the green dot.
1: He he showed the instincts last year. He has the quarter or the linebacker whisper, like you've been saying. I want to know if you had to pick somebody on this defense to be a breakout player, who would it be?
2: It's Darnell Savage for me.
1: Okay, Darnell Savage. Hey, Darnell was pretty damn good last year. If he takes that step this year, we are about to be a problem on defense.
2: i f- So this is because this is what I believe about the Packers defense. I believe that by week five, um, the week after the Packers play San Francisco um, and Pittsburgh, before they play Cincinnati, I think by then Eric Stokes is going to supplant Kevin King as the other starting corner. Now Eric Stokes profiles similar to Jair where he's a lockdown corner, not like a Xavier Howard who plays for interceptions. Um, So that being said, I think you're going to see Jair Alexander and uh, Eric Stokes, which is going to make it hard for teams to get separation at the line of scrimmage, which is going to lead to trying to pass deeper across the middle of the field, which is where I think Darnell Savage's ball hawking ability comes into play. And I think Darnell Savage has a big opportunity um, to increase his interception numbers this year. I know I mentioned it a couple times that we were at the first Packers practice and I said, Darnell Savage 10 interceptions and he gave the big thumbs up. So um, it's not one of my bold predictions, but it is something that I'm looking for is to see if Darnell Savage can, can step his game up as a, a ball hawking safety. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, the saints do have a good offensive line. So if the Packers want to get at Alvin Kamara, and at Jameis Winston, to create pressure, they're going to either have to send extra guys or work on some stunts. And that's another thing that I'm looking for with Joe Barry taking over. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, we know what Jameis Winston is. We know what Elvin Kamara is. Kind of a question mark on Marquez Calloway, but I'm going to give the edge to Jair Alexander because he's one of the best, if not the best cornerback in the league. Um, so I'm going to give Jair that that uh, edge on that side of the ball. So let's flip it. And let's talk about Packers offense versus the Saints defense.
1: This, <laughs> uh, I wanted to say a comment, but it's just too mean. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to. I want to, though. It's it's a hurricane joke. I want to say it, but I'm not going to.
2: No, don't do that.
1: Don't do that. It's, it's too soon. I know. I know. Okay. So Aaron Rodgers is going to destroy the Saints. I just want everybody to understand that. Um, The Packers, my score prediction, is 37-24. The Packers are going to wallop. They are going to wallop the Saints. Uh, Rodgers is going to have three touchdown passes, and I think the Packers are going to get the rush game going. Um, A.J. Dillon is a breakout candidate this year for the Packers. Obviously, he's going to get a huge volume upgrade. I have Jones, Dillon, and Hill all combining for 150 rush yards and two touchdowns. I think we are going to dominate uh we are we're gonna we're gonna pound the saints i think the saints are gonna take a huge step back uh not a lot of people do i mean the saints they, they're just they're, they're not scary to me they're kind of like they're just not scary i think the packers are going to wall up them we have way too many weapons i mean we've talked about this a million times there's only one player on the packers offense who's guaranteed targets that is davante adams correct after yep. that, you got Lazard, you got MVS, you got Tanya, you got Amari, you got Cobb. Now we brought Cobb back. That's guaranteed first downs basically every play. Then you They're got the going on
2: the backfield.
1: Yeah, yeah. Then you got the rushing. Like it's it's going to be a bad day for the Saints. I really feel that. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you finish because I don't want to say too much when we get to our bold predictions. I got a little bit more to stack on.
2: All right, so. It's crazy that you said 37-24. I have the Packers winning 37-20. to um, I do think Jameis Winston probably throws a couple of picks in this game. Um, the Packers offense is going to feast. Uh, Rodgers may have some pressure on him at times if Cam uh, Cam Jordan is lined up by Billy Turner. Um, so there may be a little bit of pressure there. So maybe that's where he looks to uh, hyper-target Devontae Adams in some of those situations. Um <laughs> I know you just saw Isaac's comment saying that AJ Dylan's legs were sponsored by Parker Johns Barbecue and Pizza. Um, <laughs> that was
1: good. good? Yeah, All right. That was that was funny. That was legit. That was a that was a legit funny one, man.
2: <laughs> the Whisker Fanatic Show is, in fact, sponsored by Parker Johns. I forgot because we switched up the beginning of the show a little bit. That uh, we were going to announce today, that uh, James Bowker is the winner of the second um, Parker John's gift card for the month of August for sharing posts. So definitely yes, want to thank sir. him for sharing posts and for following the show and uh, helping us grow it. Um, so back to Packers. Now that we got uh, on a little Parker John's tangent, which I'm okay with, um, yes, sir, because it is good food. Now. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. We're going to talk about Devontae Adams when we get into some of our bold predictions. Um, Mentioned it already. The Packers have tons of weapons in this offense. Um, Amari Rodgers and Kylan Hill are tackling punt returning and kick return duties. So rookies at those two positions, both. uh, A lot of talent in those two. We'll see what they can do with those roles. Um, Now we're in the third year of the Matt LaFleur system. So I think, oh, this is... We're getting an extra game this year too, which is gonna, you know, make things seem a little a little different because there's gonna be some more statistics going into that. Um the Saints defense, they give up more points at home than they do on the road. Wow. Last year they gave up twenty-three points on the road at home and seventeen points on the road.
1: Our 37 we slapped on them last year. Definitely helped with that.
2: So the Saints last year gave up 24 points or more eight times and held teams to 10 points or less five times. So
1: Dude. keep going. And then I got that, something to that,
2: that to me says that their defense is decent. It's not good. It's not great. It's not terrible. They have some good players. Um, Obviously the Packers didn't have any trouble throwing up 37 on them last year without Devontae Adams. Um, Alan Zard had six for one forty six and a touchdown last year against them. Yep. Tanyan had five catches for fifty yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones had six, um, had sixteen carries for sixty nine yards and a touchdown. I should have brought this up when we were in the Packers defense section. Do you know who our leading tackler was against the Saints last year?
1: I'm gonna say Sean Gary.
2: Ty Summers.
1: Holy shit.
2: Six solo tackles and three assisted tackles. Ty Summers Holy was a leading God. tackle against the yeah, Saints last weird. year. <laughs> um, yeah, Rodgers last year against the Saints. 21 for 32, 283 yards and three touchdowns. A lot of the Saints defense is very similar to what it was. So there's, no, there's nobody new and scary on the Saints defense. So I really think this is going to be a very similar game to last year. Um, except I think Jameis Winston is a step back on quarterback. So I do think the saints will put up a few less points in this game at 37 to 20.
1: Okay. You ready for this weather report, baby? I got the weather Oh, you are going to do
2: weather report. Yep. Let's do weather report and then we'll do bold prediction. This.
1: All right. So brought to you by AccuWeather. Jake's oh, weather.
2: We, we should get them as a sponsor for this segment. We should. I bro. might, I might is... have to, I might have to send them an email.
1: I Dude, I love looking up the weather now. <laughs> All right, so I looked up the weather at the start of game time to the end of game time. So 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. is the window that I gave it. At the start of the game, it's going to be 89 degrees. Real feel on the field is going to be 100. It's going to be hot. Yeah. At 4, it'll be 87. Real feel, 96. 5, 85, and 91. 6, 82, and 87. There is a 47% chance of precipitation. And the air quality is said to be poor. So when I was looking up the weather, there was a quote today. I looked up at um, Big Packer Instagram. I uh, love that Instagram. Anybody, if you want to keep up to date uh, by the second to your Packer news, follow him. Um, I've actually reached out to him about coming on the show, and I've got a little bit of a response. So he's pretty popular guy. He, he had Aaron Rodgers, you know, you know, follow him twice and put him on a story. So he's pre- he's pretty big. Um. Outside of that, he had a quote from Matt Lafleur, and when Lafleur was talking about the Packers being hydrated, he said, "And I'm going to kind of paraphrase here. He talked about every time that the Packers player take a piss, you want it to be clear. That's how much water he wants his players drinking. It's going to be hot. Uh, like I said, the air quality is going to be going to be poor. So, with that being said." Uh, I think the Saints are going to get a little bit more tired because we're going to be scoring more points, and that heat's going to be hitting them a little bit harder.
2: <laughs> All right. You ready to get bold?
1: I was born to be bold, baby. All
2: right. Let's get bold. Let's start with your number three bold prediction for this season. Ooh,
1: hey, buckle up. These are good.
2: It's going to get bold. This is this is uh, spicy, bold predictions that we have here.
1: <laughs> have your milk candy. <laughs> All yeah, right. hit it.
2: My hit it. number
1: three is the Packers are going to trade for Cortland Sutton. Now, if you don't know, Cortland Sutton is a very good young wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Denver Broncos are loaded on pretty much everything outside a quarterback. So Cortland Sutton, last year of his contract. Uh Jerry Judy's look bit biting at his heels. They got Hamler over there. They got Tim a lot Patrick. of good players. Um I have, oh, he said, ooh, bold, yeah. He I said, ooh, bold, yep.
2: Uh, oh, just wait, Isaac. This is only number comment. three for both of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, this is going to go answer your last comment, Isaac, but I think the Packers are going to trade Alan Lazard and a fourth rounder for Cortland Sutton because I think the Broncos, they're not going to be high in their division. They'll probably be last, honestly. And the Packers yep. are obviously, you know, there's been last dance vibes. I mean, this is – it sounds like win or go home season for us right now. And Cortland Sutton is a guy that could put this offense from really, really good to great. So, I think the Packers are going to be all in. GM Rogers is going to be, you know, <laughs> telling Goody what to do. And I think Cortland Sutton could find his way in green and gold this year.
2: Okay. I can, I can see the path for that. So, like, we have these – these predictions are pretty bold, but we have – Thoughts and reasons and ways we can see these things happening. So, (laughs) all right. My bold prediction, my third bold prediction, this is the least bold of my three, is that the Packers cut Tyler Lancaster. And the Packers released their first official depth chart. And Kingsley Kiki is starting at the other defensive end, uh, opposite Dean Lowry. So across the line, it's Dean Lowry. Uh, Kenny Clark and Kingsley Kiki at the other defensive end position. And if you watch the show, you've heard me gush for four weeks now about how much I love Jack Heflin and his effort level. It's not going anywhere. So I think between Kingsley Kiki and Jack Heflin, they can make Tyler Lancaster expendable. Um, so that's, that's my third bold prediction. So, um, We'll see what happens. Um, James, I see your comment saying that James Jameis is going to ball out for New Orleans. Um, All the power to him. I like I I recognize that they're playing for a a city that's uh, that's going to be rebuilding and potentially, um, you know, kind of uh, preparing for another potential hurricane coming their way. Uh, I heard that the Saints may not play a home game until week eight. So. Nothing but respect for the city, but as far as the New Orleans Saints are concerned, uh, it's going to be a Packers show on Sunday. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Jake, let's get your second bold prediction.
1: All right. Here it is. All right. So, Packers defense, I have them finishing top five, and Darius Smith is going to lead the league in sacks this year. My number for Zadarius Smith to lead the league is 18 and a half. Uh, the last three years, sack leader in 2018, it was 20 with Donald. 2019, it was, God uh, damn, I forgot his name. It was 19 and a half, Shaq Barrett. Sorry about that. And then last year, it was TJ Watt with 15. So 18 and a half is kind of in the little middle area. And I think Z's a, a guy that could do it. Tyler took the words out of my mouth before. Part of my reasoning is because I think we're going to get better pass coverage. I'm expecting, you know, Darnell Savage, make a step up. I'm expecting cornerback number two to be much better. And we already know what Jair is. He's top two, not two. And with that being said, I think the Packers are going to score a lot of points and it's going to put Z in a position to really get after the quarterback. Gary's going to be applying the pressure on the other side. Uh Packers defense, top five Z leading the league in sacks. Watch out for it. Everybody. If we get that, then the Buccaneers are in trouble. I don't care who they brought back.
2: All right. So my number two bold prediction is that Aaron Jones has a career high in receptions, and I'm going to set it at 65 to make it bold. Um, He had 49 receptions in 2019, 47 receptions last year, and Jamal Williams in those two years had 39 and 31. Now those receptions are going to go somewhere. They could go to MVS or Lazard or uh, Tunyon or Deguara. Hill, maybe. But I do think Kylan Hill is going to get a chunk of those. But A.J. Dillon, the second running back, is not a pass catcher. He's a lay-the-thunder kind of guy. Um, So he's not going to be vulturing some of those receiving opportunities uh, that Aaron Jones is going to have. So that's 39 and 31 receptions across the last two years, average of 35 receptions that are going to go somewhere and there's 17 games this year as well. So that factors into my, my thought there. And that's why I went with a number of 65. Um, not just to say he's going to have 50 receptions. Cause he was already within one and three of that his last two years. So I set the bar pretty high for Aaron Jones at 65 receptions. I do believe he's the third best dual threat running back in the NFL after McCaffrey and Kamara. Um, who knows? He could end up with more than that depending on how LaFleur uses him and how effective guys like A.J. Dillon and Kylan Hill are. If Aaron Jones is having a nuts game and and Dillon and Hill are having trouble getting going and he sticks with the hot hand and sticks with Aaron Jones throughout an entire game instead of giving him series rest in the second and third quarters, um, Aaron Jones could have a big season and could potentially eclipse 65 receptions, especially with that 17th game this year. So. Uh, That is my second bold prediction is career high receptions for Aaron Jones. So give me your number one bold prediction, Jake. Let's get bold.
1: All right, baby. Number one is Packers make the Super Bowl and Rodgers wins back-to-back MVPs. Um, Packers, you know, they trade for a Cortland Sutton. We already have a Devontae Adams. If Aaron Jones is out there catching 65 passes and running for, you know, over 1,000, 1,300 like he always does, Packers are going to make the Super Bowl. They're going to have a top five defense. Z's going to lead the league. And the Packers are going to be the third team in Wisconsin to bring home a title. So I'm very excited. I can't wait. Uh, football is easily my favorite sport. And this is very sad, but I like Packers football more than I like most of my family members. So Sundays are very important to me.
2: all right we got Isaac in the comments with the fire emoji Isaac if you think that one's bold and spicy oh man here comes my number one I gave you guys a warning in the group chat that I had a spicy number one bold prediction coming here it is 17 games this year I think Aaron Rodgers is gonna break the 50 touchdown mark and with that Devontae Adams is going to break Randy Moss's 23 touchdown season record um, saw it last year in 14 and a half games. Devontae Adams racked up 18 touchdowns, so potentially having three and a half more games this year, or you know, three more games this year. Um, and how heavily featured Devontae is going to be, how trustworthy he is with Aaron Rodgers, and with my thought that Rodgers is going to have 50 touchdowns. I think Devontae Adams has a good shot to break uh randy moss's 23 touchdown season that he had with the patriots
1: now everybody's watching this they're like why isn't jake responding tyler told me before the show and i flipped out for a good minute that's crazy it, oh man by the way i wanted to say in uh <laughs> the wisco fanatics league if this happens josh is gonna win the league and everybody else is playing for second.
2: <laughs> yeah, Josh, the Packer expert, is in the uh, Wisco Fanatics F- Fantasy Football League. He has Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. So um, it'll be a bittersweet thing because I won't win the Wisco Fanatics Fantasy Football League. But I will come back to this in uh, January and be like, I said this. It happened. I called it.
1: Also, but- Isaac, I'm still mad you ruined my chance to get both of them. I hate you. <laughs> Not really. But God damn it. Why did you think Rodgers so early?
2: All right, we'll have Josh the Packer expert back. We'll have to see what he thinks of our bold predictions and maybe get some from him uh, if he's available to join us next week. But all right. So, so we got to move from pole football to college football, and we gotta talk about the Badgers. So you said you got some some ranting and raving to do about this, so let's <sighs> let's get it over with and let's do the Badgers versus Penn State recap.
1: Yeah. God. Yeah, that's how I feel. That's how I feel right now. What the hell
2: happened? I did a lot of these. Just throw my hands up and just really.
1: Yeah. Really? uh, That game was one of those games where my girlfriend had to leave me alone for a few minutes because I was pissed. I was pissed. After that fumble on the freaking one-yard line, I was like, what the hell are they doing, bro? They're literally just handing the game to Penn State. Literally. Penn State did not beat us. They they did technically, but the Badgers beat themselves. That's how I really feel.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: So let's get down to it. For anybody who didn't watch, the Badgers lost 16-10. to uh, Mertz was 22 of 37 for 185 yards and two interceptions. And Malusi was 31 for 121 and one touchdown. Here we go. So I broke down the first downs, third down, fourth down, rushing, and passing yards. Oh, I got into it, man. I was looking All at right. it, how did we lose this game. First downs, Penn State had 12. They had one by rush, eight by pass, and two by penalty. The Badgers had 29 first downs, 17 by rush, nine by pass, three by penalty. So we more than doubled them, damn near tripled them in first downs. Third downs, Penn State was 3 of 13. Badgers, 7 of 21. So, I mean, we add more. Percentage-wise, really not that much difference. Fourth down, Penn State was 0 for 1. The Badgers were 2 for 3. This is where it gets really bad when I start to get down to the time of possession. We're almost there. Yeah. <sighs> Rushing yards, Penn State had 50. They had 247 passing yards. And it was basically the one freaking player on the same nope. damn play. Yep. Nope. Rushing yards. Badgers had 174, and they had 185 pass yards. That's a pretty balanced attack. Total yards, 297 for Penn State, 359 for the Badgers. We go to rush attempts. How many rush attempts do you think Penn State had?
2: Uh 25. 18. Ooh.
1: The Badgers ran it 58 times. Time of possession. Penn State had the ball for 17 minutes. The Badgers had the ball for 42 minutes and 51 seconds. Wow. How do you score 10 points? Red zone. That's This is how. One for four in the red zone. Yep. Penn State, two for three. They got in the money zone and they cashed in.
2: And They cashed in outside of, of that, too.
1: So, I'm going to do my little rant. Madison, you are a great sports town. You are one of the top 10 sports cities in America, and I will bet my life savings on that. Madison is a great, great I sport.
2: brought it up last week.
1: They are. They're a great sports city.
2: Number six the on StubHub.
1: The thing that I don't want to see is I don't want to see us pouting and saying the season's over after one week because it's absolutely not. We play a top 10 Notre Dame next week. Well, next Saturday after this Saturday, we have a top 10 opponent, a likely top 10 opponent in Iowa. We still could play a Penn State again if they end up beating an Ohio State, or we could play a top five, top three Ohio State. You're telling me an 11-1 team that beats Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, they're going to keep out of the, the playoffs? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The season is not over. It's one week. It's one game. The reason we lost this game was Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz was not accurate with the ball. He did not make the right decisions. I also want to put a little bit of blame on Chris because we could have mixed up the play call a little bit. Although I felt like Malusi was pretty damn good. The offensive line, I think, needs a little bit of work. But the thing I don't want to see, Madison, I don't want to see us with our heads down. There's a lot of season left. Look at the Bucs. The Bucs fought through adversity. Look at the Brewers. This team never gives up. We are a blue-collar state. We do not give up, no matter what. You always fight for what you – for. you fight for your right to party, and you fight for your right to win damn games and get in the goddamn playoffs, all right? The Badgers have enough respect they can make it there yet. So, with that being said, the Badgers are going to take all their anger out on Eastern Michigan, but I'm going to wait for Tyler to give his recap. All
2: right. Do you want to give your three stars of the game before we uh, before I go?
1: No, I wanted to do three stars after you do your, your little. All game. right. That's how I was. All saying. right.
2: So I, I had it written down, and I know I said it to you early in the game, but the offensive line was unimpressive. We know that there's some young guys on that offensive line, but it was, it was hard for Malusi to get more than a two- or three-yard gain for most of the first quarter. Yeah. Um, I kept waiting for him to break one. He got taken down by a couple arm tackles. Um, Isaac Garendo. Looked solid. I, he's worth mentioning. He had 13 carries, 56 yards, 4.3 a carry. Uh, didn't see Jalen Berger in this game. And for the Eastern Michigan game, Isaac Garendo and Jalen Berger are listed as co-running back twos for this game. Um, but it took a while for Malusi to be able to get through the front seven and brisker the safety, even though he went down with injuries like four times. Um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save Graham Mertz for last because I want to give both sides of the Graham Mertz thing. Um, pretty pleased with Jake Ferguson. He had a career high in receptions. Um, I liked seeing they ran like a tight end screen for Jake Ferguson. They let some of the big guys get out in front of him, and they had him set up like right on the other side of the offensive line, and they ran a tight end screen for Jake Ferguson, and he got like eight yards out of it. Um, so I like that play. I like, I like that play call. I would like to see more of that. Um, they ran two wide receiver screens for Kendrick Pryor. Um, I mean, they worked out all right, um, but they got to get Kendrick Pryor more involved. Uh, Danny Davis had a great game. He was eight catches for 99 yards. Um, had a very, very nice toe tap catch on the sideline. That was a beautiful throw and catch. Um, and then Kimura DK had a nice pitch and catch for nine yards had an end around on a third and two that he took for 10 yards. We know what we have in Chesma Lucy. We saw some good things from Isaac Rendo. We know we have in Jalen Berger. There are talented players all over this offense. There's good wide receivers. There's a good tight end. There's good running backs. We we've seen Graham Mertz be able to do good things as a quarterback. This offense, like you said, Paul, Chris, he's got to mix up the play calls a little bit, run some play action see if Graham Mertz can throw on the move, you know, do some things like that, uh, get him out of the pocket, get him moving around a little bit, um, shake some of the rust off, you know, uh, get him some, some quick attack throws so he can build some confidence, you know, kind of like when you talk about, you know, getting some layups to see the ball go through the basket to build your confidence, get Graham Mertz, some easy, quick throws, build up his confidence, you know, see him, see him moving the chains, um,
1: they, they they call those long handoffs. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing yeah, wrong with that, man. and you
2: got you have guys like Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis that can do electric things with the ball. They're both very fast.
1: Hey, we, we we have never really used our running backs in the passing game. Might not be a bad idea. Let's let's get Chez out in some space on a, on a linebacker and see if you can shake a defender. You know, instead and they of they like to the tackles,
2: they like to run with fullbacks. But what if you what if you. Sp- split back behind Graham Mertz, Ches Malusi, and Isaac Garendo.
1: Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And you
2: run up you run a play action running back screen out of that. Yeah. I mean it's worth a try. I mean it was not very creative play calling on Saturday. No and yeah, it was
1: pretty straightforward.
2: And then shooting yourself in the foot on top of that uh, makes it hard to win and that's you know you get into that situation where you're at the goal line and the only thing you can't do is turn the ball over and you fumble the ball, like that, you just can't do that.
1: Yeah. Mertz had two interceptions and two fumbles. He only lost one of the fumbles, but obviously he recovered that second fumble, but that's inexcusable.
2: So I like, I like this offense and I like Graham Mertz. We've saw, we saw it last year against Illinois. He was 20 for 21 in a game. So Graham Mertz, he has the talent he made some really, really nice throws in this game, like at least three really nice throws. He also made several really bad throws, and he didn't take time to get through some of his progressions.
1: I still don't understand how he missed that wide receiver DK down the middle to win the game. I have no idea how he missed that throw. He threw it high, man. And I've, I mean, I talked to my dad about it, and I've seen other people say he had to put air under it because there was a linebacker. Okay, so just drop that baby in. Why can't you drop that baby in? You don't have to rocket it over everybody's face. Drop that baby in the bucket, you know? That's next level. That's NFL quarterback throw right there.
2: And that's that's the situation where maybe the pressure that the Penn State front seven, who deserves respect in this discussion, was getting pressure. If he's feeling that pressure early and he's, you know, like, oh, I got to get rid of the ball so I don't get sacked, and then he's only looking at one receiver and like, oh, I got to throw it before I get sacked that's a young quarterback type thing. So that's something that he's got to work through. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the second game against Eastern Michigan to see what Graham Mertz can do against a team. That's going to be overmatched. Like the Badgers are going to win this one by a lot, but as far as the Badgers defense is concerned, um, Penn state's offense took advantage of the Badgers aggressiveness, uh, mm-hmm. several times. And Scott Nelson is the guiltiest party. Um, he bit super hard on pump fakes that allowed John Dotson to get behind him at least three times. Um, and like I said, just over aggressive led to those situations. Um, and that's, you know, you've talked about it where Scott Nelson is more of a, a thumping safety than a, a ball hawking safety. And that got him into trouble. He was playing more, more like a linebacker, trying to play like a linebacker more than being a safety. And as a safety, you just can't let guys get behind you. Yeah. You just can't he's, let that happen.
1: He's a box safety for sure. Like he could have had a pick early in the game, but in the first quarter, but he was really looking to separate that guy from his face. That's all
2: I know. And I and I like Scott Nelson for that, but you know, that's the that's the part of the mental game where you got to know when to do that. I agree. And then the other safety, I think is, I don't know what his first name is. I forgot to look it up. It's Torchio. He, there was two missed tackles that he had. Both could have been behind the line of scrimmage on screen plays. Yep. If he makes those tackles, they stall some Penn State drives. And it's possibly still a 10-10 game. And then the Badgers don't have to score a touchdown to win that game. And they can just bleed the clock out and kick a field goal and win 13-10. to Something uh... like that.
1: Their, Penn State's last uh, touchdown drive, he missed the tackle on like a third and four, third and five, right on the left side. Mm-hmm. And the running back ended up going up the sideline. And I was just like, that was the – that was – I mean, Penn State was driving. They had momentum after that. They hurried up. And that was, that was yep. the game right there, that missed tackle. And that sucks. It shouldn't come down to that. It really shouldn't, especially when the right. Bears have that many opportunities to really – really cru- we we crush them outside of the score, you know, the turnover. Yeah.
2: And you you gave all the stats to back that up. Yeah. So that being said, let's let's get some stars from this game. Um and then let's move on.
1: All right. So my first star, I gave it to Malusi. Um, it's his first game, new team, didn't have a lot of room to make plays. Like you said, he got hit up by some some arm tackles. There's a couple times he got tackled by his own guys. I mean yeah. I mean last week I said it. It was gonna be a sloppy game. You know, in in college, you don't really have a preseason or anything like that to really ramp up. So I knew coming into this, a a conference game, I almost said division, um, a conference game, a ranked conference game at that. Uh, Penn State's always pretty good at football. So them coming in, they always have good linebackers. Their linebacker, you. I think Malusi did a very good job his first game with a new team. Offensive line, like I said, needs some help. But 31 for 121, and he scored our lone touchdown. So... I think Malusi deserves a little bit of credit here.
2: All right. So was he like your third best star or was he your number one star?
1: I'm going to say he was my third best.
2: All right. So I'm going to start with my third best star. It's Nick Herbig. Um, Leo Chennault did not play in the first game. He's not going to play in the Eastern Michigan game. He's got COVID, so he's not playing for the first two weeks of the season. Um, So Nick Herbig stepping in. Three tackles and one of the two sacks filling in for Leo Chennault. He was my, my third star of this game.
1: Uh, my second one was Danny Davis. Uh, you said his stats, eight for 99. And he had the catch that set us up at the one-yard line. That was an incredible catch, man. He's yeah. getting pulled, grab, fallen to the ground. He's horizontal. I mean, he's doing yeah. everything, man. And he caught that. That was all hands. And that was a great catch. Uh, he had that toe-tap catch, too. Um, he he played a good game, man. He's, he's one of the guys we have to get the ball to him. Um, he's a playmaker. He can make things happen. And he's the guy, I'm going to be honest with you, they forced the ball to Jake Ferguson. I would have found a way to get Davis inside of a corner and make that work. I know they played off, but have him running an underneath route off of a Ferguson, I think that could have worked on that last play. But, you know. 2020,
2: right? Yeah, you got to get you got to get Kendrick Pryor more involved, especially in the passing game. Yeah. Um, I have Danny Davis also for my number two. You mentioned already the the very nice catch that he had that set up that touchdown. That do you see like Graham Mertz? That was one of like a few throws that he had that was a damn good throw. Hit yeah. Danny Davis right in the hands, like pulled his hands back when he caught it. So like that was a just a bullet pass. Danny Davis made a great play to get the first down. Um, And then that toe-tap catch, he just got that left toe down. That was a very, very nice throw by Graham Mertz, really only putting it where his receiver can get it and Danny Davis going and getting it.
1: Yes, sir. Uh, My last one is Jack Sanborn. Um, He's the leader of this defense. He's an NFL linebacker. He will be in NFL. His brother actually committed this last year, too. He's 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 a freshman. He's going to be a star. Um, He had a sack, two tackles for loss. Um, he had one tackle. This was in the third quarter, I believe where it was just kind of just a nasty scrum of giant human beings, old school, big 10 football. I, that's why I love big 10, man. It's just nasty and people pushing each other and they're humongous. And, and uh, he goes in there and he gets low. He grabs the running back, wraps him up and he just drives them to the ground. And I'm like, yeah, bro, that keeps me fired up and I want to hit somebody right now. Uh, Sanborn's awesome, man. I'm, I hope the Packers actually pick him up, to be completely honest with you, but we'll see what happens. I think he's gonna be a good NFL linebacker. He's a great he's a really good tackler.
2: Yeah, and the Packers could use that. They've struggled with tackling, especially as far as the linebackers are concerned. The linebackers. <laughs> we were
1: just talking about the game against the Saints last year. That was probably their worst tackling performance of the year last year.
2: I've br- I brought it up a bunch of times last year that it's bad when Adrian Amos and Jair Alexander are our leading tacklers. hmm Yeah, that's bad. So let's move on. It's going to be a brighter Saturday this week. I fully expect the Badgers to win this game by double digits. But before we do a score prediction, um, let's talk about Badgers versus Eastern Michigan.
1: Okay, Badgers versus Eastern Michigan. Uh, It is going to be 87 degrees. I'm just going to pop up with this. weather.
2: All right, let me throw Jake's weather report back up there.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's going to be 87, which is weird because the rest of the week is going to be 70s. And then all of a sudden it's almost 90 degrees again uh winds southwest at 10 to 15 miles an hour so gonna be a little windy a little warm and i believe i didn't i didn't write this down but i believe the badgers are favored by like 25 or 26 right now i
2: think it's like 25 and a half or something okay so 25
1: i have the badgers winning by a whole hell of
2: a lot me too
1: 45 to 6
2: are you serious yes you're you're a weirdo i have 45 to 6 (laughs) <laughs> what does that say, bro? <laughs> Let
1: me see. There it is, baby. Forty-five to six. Uh, Badgers are going to absolutely kill Eastern Michigan. They're going to destroy them. Hey, Anchorman Jake. Hey, I like that. I might get that on my next Wisco fanatic shirt, buddy. I like that. Maybe, maybe I'll get it in burgundy too.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. i hate you for that uh, <laughs> oh
1: come on that was pretty good that was a spur of the moment funny 45 <laughs> 6 badgers are gonna kill them packers are gonna win this week um brewers win everything's great man
2: all right as far as the badgers are concerned on the defense i want to see better instincts from the from the safeties i want to see tighter coverage by the cornerbacks and the linebackers and the D-line just need to keep doing what they're doing.
1: Yeah, our front seven is amazing. Um, our back four, kind of questionable, to be honest. Yeah. But that's saying it nicely, I guess.
2: So, our defense held Penn State to just 50 rushing yards. So, more of that. Um, they only Penn State only had 43 yards in the entire first half.
1: Dude, I, our front seven is good, man. So, so aside really from – way to get beat.
2: Aside from the safeties biting up on, you know, pump fakes and stuff, um, the defense did what they had to do. Um, yeah. Eastern Michigan had two quarterbacks play last week. They had two solid running backs, but Eastern Michigan last week played Saint Francis of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um... So the Padgers defended the run better than the pass, anyways. So Eastern Michigan, being a better rushing team than passing team, already works into the Badgers' favor. No. Uh, as far as the offense is concerned, I want to see better um, chemistry between Graham Mertz and Ches Malusi, so they can figure out their handing off issues. The two fumbles and then tripping on um, Malusi tripping on Mertz's feet; those those three plays don't happen, and the Badgers probably win that game easily.
1: I 100% agree with that.
2: So, just cutting out mistakes that you can cut out. Um, yeah. And then let Graham Mertz use his weapons. That's, this is on Paul Crist more than it is on Graham Mertz. Um, Graham Mertz only averaged five yards per pass.
1: Aye, aye, aye.
2: Let let him use his weapons. I mean, he's, they have good weapons. Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor, Jake Ferguson, Kimmery DK. They have good weapons for Graham Mertz to use. You just got to mix up the play calling a little bit and get him some confidence going. Dude. Um,
1: Team stacked the box against the Badgers anyways. It'd be nice to stretch the damn field once in a while. Yeah. Jesus.
2: Um, and then the last things that I have, Jez Malusi is the real deal. Uh, he's definitely the, the lead running back for this team. And then I have written down again that Berger and Garendo are listed as co running back twos for this game.
1: My baby's losing it upstairs, if you can't tell.
2: I actually can't. I can't hear that. Oh.
1: Well, this might All be right, great then.
2: <laughs> All right, last thing we're going to talk about before we end the show is targeting. Now, this is it's a really weird discussion, and honestly, it feels like there's no right answer, but there's a bunch of answers that are like, okay, I can see that, I know what they're doing, I don't like that. Yeah, that could work. So where where does NCAA go with targeting? They were talking about it during the broadcast. I wanted to bring this up because there was an Ole Miss game where they had four players ejected in the first half for targeting. Oh, shit. So I went and watched all of them. Um, three out of the four were legit, guys leading with the top of their helmet, which is the stuff that you want to get rid of. But what does what does the NCAA do with targeting? I wanted to get your opinion on this.
1: Well, I think the current rule is not what you do. I'll say that. Um, it's pretty crazy. The Penn State linebacker has to miss the first half in the next game and he gets kicked out of the current game that he's in uh, after his first offense. That's pretty harsh to me. Um, 15 yards. I mean, I want to say that I agree with it because, you know, a roughing or like a personal foul or like unnecessary roughness, like yep. those are all 15 yard penalties. And yep. I, I, I could see that if you keep that in that category, I understand, yep. you know, you know, being really big about player safety. Cause the NFL is big about it too. And we yep. don't we don't need CTE being a thing that they start doing research in college,
2: you know? Right.
1: Um, so I understand the player safety, but I don't know if the guy has to miss the next game. I think after and I don't think he needs to get kicked out after the first offense either. I think after the second one, yeah, you start you. I mean, after the first one, give the bench a warning. Go talk to the coach if you want to. I mean, give them like their first, like, okay, hey, we're watching yep. this now, we're we're watching for this. Yep. You know, the thing about the this one that happened against Penn state in Wisconsin is merch saw it coming. The Penn state linebacker saw it coming. They saw the collision coming. Mertz didn't go down by the way. So I want people to understand that he is a truck. Okay. He took all of that.
2: And, yeah, he, and he was the on one
1: feet. standing up. Yeah. He took all of that dude. And everybody's like, Oh, he got lit up. No, oh, bro. He's the one standing. Yeah. Um, we make our boy strong around here. So outside of that, Let's get back to the discussion. I'm going to say that after the second one, that's maybe when you can start kicking them out. I think 15 yards is a fair penalty. Like I said, give them a warning after the first one and tell them that the refs are really watching for it. But I don't know if there's really a right or wrong way to handle it, but player safety has to be at the forefront of, you know, the ref's brains.
2: Yeah, especially.
1: Sure, sure did. <laughs> and
2: and football is a situation. Yeah. Um... I don't want to get to a point where they make it like a 20 yard penalty. I think that's excessive. Um, you know, if you move from, you know, if it happens on the first play of a drive and you move from the 25 yard line to the 45 yard line, you're already in midfield. That's a, that's a huge chunk of yardage. That's 20 yards is it's massive. Um, I, I agree with your idea of potentially making it a first offense is a warning. Second offense is a potential ejection. Um, I also agree with you that he shouldn't have to sit out the first half of the next game because it was something that happened in this game, make it about this game, not about the next game. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a third, um, you know, a third measure, you know, if you go from a warning to an ejection for this game, and then if it happens a third time, you know, say in the first half of the, or the second half of the next game, then make him sit out, you know, for a full game's worth of quarters. Right. Um, but I mean, moving moving the penalty from a fifteen yard penalty to a twenty yard penalty, I don't think is the answer. But they have to figure something out because the current rules don't deter players from doing it enough. Yeah, I agree. There's still lots of players out there leading with their helmets, and that's why I wanted to bring up the Ole Miss game because I do think there was one where he where he went with his shoulder, but the helmets made contact, and the the defender can't account for what the uh, the ball carrier is going to do while they're making their move to make a tackle. Right. So that was really only one that I thought could be taken out. The other three were all straight leading with their helmets, trying to make tackles with their helmets. That's something that's got to go. Um, especially when it becomes a helmet to helmet type hit, because that's like you said, it's going to be a CTE issue.
1: Yep.
2: So they have to figure out something that is going to make players not do it or, it's just going to continue. And that's obviously a player safety thing that you don't want to continue to be an issue. So I don't know. Maybe they get weird and they try like a penalty kick situation. I don't know. Throw it out there. You get a, a 40 yard field goal for your second or third targeting offense in a game. And, you know, putting points on the board instead of disqualifying a player, that maybe is the deterrent to, um, to try to correct the things that you're doing wrong. Like I said, if that becomes, you know, you get a warning, then you get an ejection. And then if it happens again, like I said, make it a penalty kick of, or something like that. You know, um, I realized it would slow the game down and it would, it know, be a big, a big deal. And it would be a very outside of football potential idea. But I mean, the NCAA, they have to do something instead of kicking out four players in the first half of one game. Yeah. I agree. I don't know. Maybe maybe we can uh, put this out on social medias and see what people say about targeting, and see if people have any other ideas. And maybe we can revisit this next week or in the future. Um, <laughs> our buddy Isaac said they threatened to draft you to the Lions. That's enough punishment. Uh, that would be a punishment, although. Like it happens to some people. I mean, somebody's gotta to go to the Lions.
1: You are guaranteed to never have a winning record.
2: I mean, you, you can cry in your Lamborghini, though.
1: Hey, hey, facts on that, buddy. Facts on that. <laughs> Remember uh Daniel Tosh talking about how uh he talked about how money doesn't buy happiness. He's like, You ever you ever frowned on a jet ski? You ever been sad on a jet ski? That's exactly what you just said, just different words. I'm like, that's true. <laughs>
2: And then he's like, uh, "How come nobody with a Lamborghini ever pulls up to me?" And I was like, "Hey, man, you want this car?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's, he's like, "It's like, probably, go, I'm probably yeah. wasted energy." But, but yeah, I mean, you know, somebody's got to go to the Lions. You can get paid to go there. I mean, you can you can be good for somebody's fantasy football team like Marvin Jones has been in the past. So, Ugh. I mean, yeah. you can do that. But you can you know you can play for a revolving door of coaches that are never good. So.
1: You could be a quarterback for the Bears for four years, and then everybody buys your jersey and says you're going to be the best, and then there you have a new quarterback. (laughs) early retirement. Go Bears. Steve. Steve, we're having you on one of the Bears weeks, man. You're coming on here, and you're talking shop.
2: Oh, Um, dude. So I'm going to spoil it a little bit, but uh, Matt Ramage said he's going to come on the week before the Bears game. That's going to be fun because Matt Ramage definitely enjoys his trash talk. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that week, um,
1: Steve. How am I hating? You guys literally get a new quarterback every four years. You are not winning. Oh my god, Steve! I don't know if you woke up and bumped your head or something, but you ain't winning the North. Okay, I'm telling you right now. I, can,
2: uh, I the Bears have a Bears have a tough matchup this week, and they play the Rams. That's gonna be tough.
1: Yeah, I can't, dude. NFL week, it, it NFL is back, and i got to watch the Cowboys and the Bears lose on national TV. It's going to be awesome.
2: <laughs> so, I'll throw that out there since we're on that discussion. Uh, me, you, and your dad have another pie bet going now. It's starting this week. Yep. It's not going to end until the end of the regular season. But um, <laughs> Mike Glennon has a couple of jet skis because of the Bears. <laughs> um. Uh, Jake's dad, myself, and, and Jake are doing uh pick-ems every week. So Jake, the three of us are going to pick all of the NFL games every week. And at the end of the season, whoever has the least right is going to get a pie to the face. When we do our live show uh, at the Green Bay Parker Johns, Jake's dad is going to get a pie to the face that day for uh, the uh, hot dog eating contest pie bet, which I won, Jake was in the middle, and, and uh, Jake's dad was the farthest away.
1: I'm not getting a pie, so I feel
2: like I won. Yeah, the one time that you're not getting a pie.
1: (laughs) And the Badgers better
2: beat Iowa so that Curtis can have one too. No, he's Um, getting
1: two. Remember, he's getting two.
2: That's true. He said two. Yeah,
1: He's he's equaling us. Can't wait for that.
2: All right. Do you have anything else before uh, we have a Brewers game and then Saturday the Badgers and Sunday we have Packers football again?
1: You know, I always say this. I can't wait for Packers-Bears week, but I don't want to say that because then, like, the season's going to be gone because we don't play them till like, later in the year. I but it's uh week seven. Man, I, I cannot wait. Yeah, I think – what do we play then? It is week seven. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got week six. I don't know. We play them, we play them like, middle of the year, and then we play them really late in the year at Sunday Night Football. But, no, it's uh, week
2: seven. New Orleans. New Orleans. Detroit. San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago. All right. All right. I lied. Sorry. My bad. Okay. So it is week six.
1: Anyways, yeah. Week six. I guess I needed to count on
2: my fingers to figure it out.
1: (laughs) Hey, I count on my fingers all the time. But (laughs) Bears are going down, Steve. I hope you understand that. Packers run this thing. Okay. And if you think just because Aaron's going to leave next year, that's going to give you the okay. We don't know what Fields is. Okay. He's probably trash because he went to Ohio State. Screw them. And he's a bear, so double screw him. Steve, you're coming on our show. I still love you, Steve. you a good dude, man. But I hate the bears.
2: <laughs> All right, man. You got anything else?
1: No, nah, man. I'm excited. It's going to be a good week.
2: All right. Make sure you share the show. Um, we give away a $25 gift card to Parker Johns every month for people who share the show. Uh, join us on Discord so you can keep up with us in between Wednesdays. I want to thank Christopher for setting that up for us and share the share the show share the posts with uh with your friends and uh we're going to keep growing the wisco fanatics show and keep putting out new ideas and uh like we just mentioned we're going to have the live show coming up in the beginning of november so that's gonna be a lot of fun looking forward to that so uh we will see you guys next week and uh keep an eye on the page in between yes sir all right take care man